Welcome to a ride on the outside. MMA is full of people on the inside. But what about the ones that watch from beyond? Welcome to the MMA Outsiders with Tom Albano and Zan Bando on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. All right, we are here for episode number 42. I'm once again for another edition of the MMA Outsiders. I'm Sam Bando. I'm Tom Albano, as always. And Sam, for a week in which we said the MMA hype around the cards last week was looking very flat. And we had a very meh kind of UFC card. The least hype I was for a UFC card in quite some time. I mean, it was very, very newsworthy in terms of just everything from the female MMA GOAT retiring, uh, big performance by Charles Oliveira, all the Canadian fighters who could be on the card and won, and some really good stuff going on in PFL with probably, Zan, I think, my pick so far for one of the big, for the biggest upset of this MMA calendar year. The madness and Floyd Mayweather, Connor getting and stuff. And then, Zen, you're going to be uh, live on coverage uh, in Chicago for Bellator 297 this weekend. Yeah, I will, I will be back on the uh, boots on the ground on the coverage scene for Bellator 297. For those of you who don't know by now, Bellator is back in the Windy City. Trust Arena is the site, and it is a massive, massive card with two huge Title fights topping the bill, so it should be a very star-studded event, and I cannot wait to be there. I will be covering it for BJPenn.com. Just wanted to quickly shout out Chris Taylor and site director Scott Hernandez for once again giving me the wonderful opportunity opportunity to cover the sport that I love so much. So I can't wait to be there giving you guys coverage both for this show, as usual, as you see most of the BJ Penn interviews that I do get flagshipped to our podcast and as well as the coverage for them. So it should be a wonderful event and just another uh, another big, big card off the bucket list that I can say that I will have attended. So I cannot wait to be there. And obviously we have a lot of other news and notes uh, to get to. But before we get into that, be sure to like and subscribe. Be sure to share the show everywhere across social media platforms. Follow us everywhere at ETV Network, at MMA Outsiders ETV. Again, my name is Dan Bando. I am a staff writer for BJPenn.com. I am also a member of the Bellator Rankings Panel. So you can find me and the rest of the media members' rankings after every single Bellator event. So if you so if you ever have any scrutiny, you can direct it towards me and the other 20-plus members on the panel. Be my guest. I'm always open for d- debate about that. But yeah, you can find my stuff over at BJPenn.com. Follow me at ZanBando99. And then, of course, Tom Tuma. They left my other fellow co-host. You can find his work over at Fansided MMA as he keeps pumping out recaps every single week and is doing great work already for the PFL Weps. You'll catch him uh, for every PFL event for the rest of this season and going forward, I would presume. So a lot to be excited about on the MMA Outsiders front in terms of coverage and what have you. So yes, to conclude, I am very excited to be in Chicago for what should be the biggest Bellator event of the year thus far, without a doubt. 
Yeah, really, really stocked Bellator card, which we will get into our little main card preview towards the end of the show. But before we do, Zan, a lot we got to recap from this past weekend. Little news elements here and here, but obviously, Zan, the big story that's going on in the MMA sphere is the end of one of the greatest careers that mixed martial arts has seen, specifically women's mixed martial arts has seen the GOAT, the consensus GOAT, Amanda Nunes calling it a career, put the one-sided whooping over Irene Irina Aldana in, let's be honest, a fight that was pure trash, although I side that more with a fault towards one fighter than I do the other. And, I mean, Zan, the hype coming into UFC 289 was very meh. The consensus has always been that Canadian UFC cards, for whatever reason, are quite cursed. And it doesn't take away, Zan, it doesn't take away from the fact that there were elements of this card that were kind of blah. But I think if we remember this card for one reason, and one reason only, it is because the GOAT has called it a career. Oh, one one thousand percent. Um, I mean, this is something that you and I. I'm pretty positive, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. This is something that you and I have hinted at regularly on this show that we could very well see this happen. Um, I certainly was expecting it with a win, just considering that you know Irene Aldana was another challenger in a long line of challengers. You know, and most of them she's already beaten, but she's another one in, in, in a long line of challengers where I could say that they are the next generation of the UFC women's bantamweight division. So I guess that was that was cool to see in that regard. But I think, you know, her legacy is is going to be, and I know this is kind of off the question, but her, her legacy is going to be, you know, who she dethroned. I mean, she beat everybody in her path to being the greatest female fighter personally that I've ever seen. Uh, the way she dismantled Holly Holm, the way she knocked out Chris Cyborg, the way she successfully um, knocked out Ronda Rousey and sent her into retirement. I mean, she's had so many memorable performances, the very close fights with Valentina. I mean, and she's just going to be remembered as someone that transcended women's MMA into making it as big as she is, as it is. And you knew that when Amanda Nunes was fighting that, she was always she was always going to bring it. She was always going to look to try to finish you, and th- that was no secret in the fight against Aldana. Outside of one small combination from Aldana, it seemed like Nunes could do whatever she wanted um, to her, and just every second of the fight, you could tell that the champ was just in complete control. I will say this though: you have to give credit to Irene Aldana. Uh, she did fail to become the fourth. Um, Mexican UFC champion that we would have had this year, but I will say um, her toughness was very noticeable. Um, it's definitely a good learning experience for her uh, without without question, um, but I think this is one of those performances where she can go back to the drawing board. Bantamweight is still a stacked division. There's still plenty of fights out there for her, still plenty of big names out there for her. I don't think this is the last of Eldana, but I will say this. I do think Nunez is leaving women's Bantamweight in a better place than when she first got into it. And I think it just goes to show how strong that division is, just considering how many former champions are in are, are in that weight class and just how supremely she's dominated everyone. And I think it'll be nice to see 
some new blood in the future. And truly, if you want to, if you want to use one word to describe her career, it would, it would have to be masterful, in my opinion. I, I think Zan, she always managed to put on some masterclass performances. Now, I think back Zan to her championship reigns ever since it began with uh, UFC 200. Actually, Zan, we want to go further back. I mean, they were talking about it, John Anik, DC, and the others on the, uh, you know, at the, at the at the commentary table and in the studio, uh, that Amanda Nunes. It didn't look like it looked like she might be on her way earlier in her career to more of a journeywoman kind of style career. I mean, you take into consideration the loss uh, to Kat Zingano, I think it was at UFC one seventy eight, and then. From there on, something clicked in her where she can continue to win, submitted Misha Tate, had a huge opportunity after all the madness and shaking up at that UFC 200 card when it came to the main event slot, whether it be the Connor Nate uh, whole thing where Connor doesn't show up to a press conference, Joe, uh, John Jones failing the drug tests. Amanda Nunes gets elevated into the main event slot, wins in pretty dominating fashion. Um pummels ronda rousey in less than a minute now i know everyone could say well that was the ron that was not the ronda rousey of old and and you're right it was not the ronda rousey of old and it no. didn't help when you know 2017 wasn't exactly a great year uh when you had the whole thing with valentina shachenko first the last minute fight cancellation uh in that year's uh international fight week that big july card and then these, the, when they actually fought Nunez Shevchenko, two controversial decision. Many, uh, including myself to this day, thinking that Shevchenko won that fight, but alas, Nunez got the nod from the judges. But ever since Zan, I would say the Rocky Pennington fight in May of 2018, what we saw was just, uh, and you add in the two fights in 2016, plus, you know, not counting that 2017 whatever the heck that was. Yeah, you know, Raquel Pennington, she ran through. Chris Cyborg, she ran through. Holly Holm, she runs through. Jermaine Durandamy, she runs through. Uh, Felicia Spencer, she runs through. Megan Anderson, she runs through. Then you've got the whole uh, thing, I'll call it her Rocky Three moment, where she eats a pretty bad loss in upset fashion to Juliana Pena. But you know what she does then, Zen? She comes back that next fight, that rematch, destroys her. And then absolutely destroys uh, Irene Aldana, which, Zan, did I not say it was going to be a 50-43 scorecard in there? And you in did. reality, I mean, yes, you can say that Aldana did not do her job. Aldana was in complete frozen mode complete frozen mode she had you know she brought nothing to the table of a championship caliber kind of fight um but amanda nunez just has had this absolute aura to her this absolute you know this absolute showcasing to her pardon me my alarm clock just went off for whatever reason uh has had this absolute aura to her and nobody seemed to be able to stop her. And it, it was just, it's one of the best runs I think I have ever seen from a mixed martial arts champion. Now, granted, 
you can make the you if you want to make the comparison. I know some people will trying to get into the intricacies of you know the kind of competition that Nunes faced, the kind of competition that say the Anderson Silvas of this world have faced. But I mean, Zan, if Ronda Rousey, if the likes of Ronda Rousey and Misha Tate helped elevate women's mixed martial arts or mixed martial arts into the uh into more of a mainstream kind of role, getting it all the attention. Uh, Amanda Nunes, and you could say some others as well, like Chris Cyborgs and your uh, and your Valentina Shevchenko's, but Amanda Nunes is basically the one who really took the ball and ran with it all the way to the end zone, and then I would say all the way to the end zone multiple times. Yeah, that's a good analogy, and I was also going to piggyback off that and say that she was the one who defined that, yes, women in mixed martial arts can be dominant for several years across. Now, I I know this is more so of a joke, but I have to say, because the record books indicated, not only did she showcase her dominance um, as as a women's MMA fighter, period, but she also showed that she could do it across multiple divisions, which I don't even care if uh, 145 is what it is. Winning two belts across two different divisions is not easy to do. And she made it look easy, easy times. I don't know if I've ever seen someone win two belts as easily as she did. And she, and she proved that it it can be done and it, and it can be done successfully. And it absolutely was. Yeah, absolute great, great performances. I mean, Zan, which of Nunez's fights would you say is your absolute all-time favorite, all-time fantastic performance? Because as much as I am a Chris Cyborg fan, I-, I have to say that performance that she laid in knocking out Cyborg in about a minute was just completely unbelievable and jaw-dropping. I mean, say what you will about women's featherweight, but it's a performance unlike anything. Like, we didn't see anybody dominate Chris Cyborg the way that Nunes dominated her. And and we've never seen anybody dominate Chris Cyborg since. Uh, Obviously, there's also the Ronda Rousey fight that sticks out of my mind just because I was going insane over, oh, my God, Ronda Rousey got pieced up in 46 and you can throw a little penalty on there that basically Ronda Rousey was not that Ronda Rousey, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, m- most definitely. I would say my the, the her my favorite performance of hers, um, just for the sole fact of history making alone, was without a doubt her Ronda Rousey win. I mean, th- that entire year, it just felt like. You know, Ronda Rousey coming back was the biggest thing that the sport could have, could have needed. First off, it gets sold. UFC 200 doesn't go as the promotion plans. UFC 202 is a blockbuster success with McGregor and Diaz. UFC 205 absolutely kills it in the promotion's debut at Madison Square Garden. And then you get UFC 207, this rare Friday night card. And we didn't really know how it was going to go. Amanda Nunes got no promotion for that fight whatsoever. Ronda Rousey opted out of all of the pre-fight media availabilities. Everything she could possibly opt out of, she did. I think Ronda was really the only one shown in that countdown show from 
And I can remember Nunez was barely shown on that. And she goes out in under a minute and just absolutely piecemeals who who people thought to be the the greatest um female fighter that we had ever seen to that point. And after seeing that, and I had watched Nunez for a while, but after seeing that, I'm like, oh my goodness, she's she's either never gonna lose the belt or it's gonna take a long time for someone to beat her because she is absolutely in, uh, amazing. And you want to talk about the run that she's been on? I don't care how how many people had to criticize though. She had some, you know, easy wins in there. You know, over for example, like like Megan Anderson. You could argue Felicia Spencer was probably an easy win. But think about the amount of former champions she beat. Hang on a second. She beat Misha Tate, Ronda Rousey, Jermaine Durandamy, and Valentina Shevchenko. Just those four alone, I mean, that's not even half of a run, but just those four alone make you go, wow. And they were almost all consecutively in a row. I think this goes to show how dominant she really was. And I don't think we're really going to realize her dominance. Oh, she is finally a member of the UFC Hall of Fame and what we would assume would be 2024. And I assume, Zan, that basically, I think Anik assumed it as well, that she will probably headline the class of 2024 next year in Las Vegas during International Fight Week, which I think is a well-deserved and a absolutely needed kind of honor for somebody who basically was, I flat out, was the goat of this, of this sport in, in terms of women's mixed martial arts. I think, Zan, that her run and her abilities Make her some make her better than some of the men in this sport. She has done things that are absolutely unbelievable. You mentioned the championship caliber uh, performances and opponents that she has faced, and other than Zan, other than the Valentina Shevchenko controversy, uh, those other champions that you named, she not only won, she beat them in dominant, dominant fashion. So here's to Amanda Nunes. I mean, yes, was the, could we have had a better fight to go out on than this? Absolutely. But can we take away from the moment that she had where basically, you know, all, the, all of her run and, I mean, Zan, there are so few athletes, not just in mixed martial arts, in sports in general, that, to, that get to go out on top. You know, not everybody is John Elway or Peyton Manning. Not everybody gets to basically, you know, have their big send off where they are a uh, champion. Uh, I guess uh, if you want to make the Chicago connection, Rossi himself, 2016 with the Cubs. Uh, But Amanda Nunes got to do that. I mean, it's especially harder in mixed martial arts to go out on top. The common thing with combat sports, you know, mixed martial arts, even stretching to pro wrestling is you go out on your back and let the next generation take over. Amanda Nunes did not need to do that. Amanda Nunes just pummeled everybody that was in her way, and if she ever had a stumble, she rebounded. It is one of the dream mixed martial arts careers. Her run from 2015 to today, one of the best runs in this sport we have ever seen, and nothing else to do, I think, Zan, but just give the little salute to Amanda Nunes, and see you in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, for sure. And for the detractors who say, 
oh, it's 1-1 with uh, Pena, you should do the trilogy. I think 50-44 is, is, is good enough to say, yeah, that, that chapter is closed. You want to talk about – I'm going to go out and say that is the most dominant immediate rematch that I've ever seen in UFC history. Right? I've, I've never seen an immediate rematch so one-sided in my life and that fight where that made me go, yeah, I don't need to ever see that again. That's for that's for sure. But now we have to look towards the future. So now we're going to be looking at a women's band. Yeah, division. absolutely not. That was, I mean, if I if I remember everybody highly on, including Dana, about oh, we can't give Chris Cyborg that rematch with Nunez because she got beat under a bit. Fifty forty four and fifty forty three. So just completely, you know, no. Nunez made the point that Pena's first victory over her, you know. Shot in the dark that you know the tenth time out of the 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 one time out of ten times where Pena would beat her. And by the way, I'm I'm going to go right here. Juliana uh, Pena, I'm going to be very critical of. Absolutely horrendous, horrendous sportsmanship. Absolutely pitiful behavior in the wake of Amanda Nunes's retire and saying, "Oh, she's running from me. I deserve the trilogy fight." You know, I'm the only. I'm the first real mom in this sport. Give me a break. Absolutely not. Yeah, I, I wish, you know, it, I'm sorry. It, it just bugs me the way it bugs me the way that she's acting. Yeah. Um, not really to piggyback off of what you just said, which I agree with Tom. I have a perfect idea for what I think should be the vacant UFC women's bantamweight title fight post Amanda Nunes' retirement. Do you want to hear it? Cause it's a bit of a hot take. Okay. I think it should be Holly Holm versus Juliana Pena. You want to talk about big business. I understand that Holly Holm is at a million chances. I know that she's lost to Chris Cyborg and Amanda Nunes. I know she probably doesn't deserve it again. But you want to talk about the UFC's new way of thinking, which is all about putting the money first? I really do think, in all honesty, that would be the fight that gives a little bit of fire back into the Bantamweight division and gets people talking again and also could put one of these two old Nunez rivals back on a pedestal that in my opinion they so deserve and honestly I think out of all I think out of the two that would that would draw the most interest I think it's those two and I think it would be a massive massive fight I am going to be predicting that that is going to be the first UFC women's Bantamweight vacant title fight and it will take place December 16th as the co-main event at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. Signed, sealed, delivered. You can write the date down June 13th, Tuesday morning, uh, Penny versus home for the Bantamweight title. Really? <laughs> we got to give Holly Holm another shot. Now, granted, Dan, granted. Uh, it's not technically a terrible idea. Juliana Pena, as much as I just ripped on her for her unprofessionalism in the wake of uh, Nunez's retirement, she is the number one contender. She does have the win over Nunez. You gotta put her in the vacant title fight. It's just a matter of who you put uh, you know, against her. Now, Holly Holm is technically ranked number three in the women's bantamweight ranking, so that's an understandable matchup. That's one that I wouldn't be surprised if the UFC makes because, yeah, number one, 
They're very close in terms of contendership. They're both in the top five. And let me quote uh, Hank and Victor from Game On. Zan, it's all about the money! Yeah, it it's all, all about the money. Yeah, it's all about the money for sure. And hey, if it's not December 16th, I think a perfect backdrop for the UFC's return to Chicago for the first time since 2019. <laughs> Juliana Pena with Chicago ties put me in the building co-main or main event at the United Center. It needs to happen now only because I'm saying it and I want to be either for it. So I, now I'm actually really hoping that, that the fight happens. I think I've psyched myself up a little bit too much, but honestly, I just think it makes monetary sense. And I think it's a very exciting fight. And I think it's a fight that could be a coin flip either way. But I think Pena wins and regains her championship. And I think it starts this whole circus of who is she going to fight next, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I think you might see the same crop of challengers just keep rolling and rolling and rolling out. So, Well, well what would you say about, because they're actually, again, that's one versus three. There is somebody in between at a number two, that being Raquel Rocky Pennington. But hang on, hang on, hang on. But hang on a second. Do we really, do we really want to see, do we really want to see Raquel Pennington in a pay-per-view co-headlining spot on a Vegas card? Don't get me wrong. I like her a lot. I like her a lot. To me, she just doesn't have the personality that a Pena or a Holm does or the star power that either of those do, which is why I think it makes more sense from a, a, a business perspective. From a from a fight perspective, one versus two that total that totally makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let me throw, let me throw another option in there because okay. Irene Aldana was ranked number five. So and obviously Zam with the way you know I know she was Amanda Nunes' last uh, opponent, but the way she fought, I mean Zam, the way that um, Liz Carmouche fought against Valentina Shevchenko when a title fight got her released. The way Irene Irene Aldana fought, you, you can't justify putting her in the next title fight simply because she was Nunez's most recent opponent. That leaves yeah, us. Uh, in, uh, agreed. If we're going to focus on top five. Agreed. Yep. That leaves us then Zan, with number four, Ketlin Vieira. Yeah, and Ketlin Vieira is an outlier Ooh. in this whole thing because she silently gone up the ranks as being one of the best contenders that the division has to offer. So I think the biggest loser in this whole thing might actually be her because now it's where does she go from here and and does uh, she and Aldana make sense next? It'll be very interesting to see what the UFC does with her. Um, no, no, no question about it. Yeah. And I can see your I can see your perspective on that. I can see your point because had Amanda Nunes stayed, then Ketlin Vieira would be the next logical challenger for Nunes to fight because that would have been such a fresh matchup. Now, granted, Zan, there is a blessing to this, as you kind of alluded to, old uh, names that never got the opportunity because of Nunes's dominant run will get the opportunity again to stake their claim, be a champion, and have a little crack at this, you know, run at the top. Uh, so there is always that fresh element. Granted, it's older names, but I mean, yeah. Zan, maybe Ketlin Vieira is the biggest loser in this, but I could see, Zan, an instance where 
within one or two fights, she's fighting for the title. And I might pick somebody like a Ketlin Vieira against somebody who against whoever a Holly Holm or a Juliana Pena. And once Vieira, and once Vieira has the belt, that is what will really pique my interest with women's bantamweight. Well, do you think Vieira beats uh, Penny Kinsey at w- when they fight later this year? I- I'm going to say yes. I-, I believe in Ketlin Vieira. Okay, that fight is on July 22nd. As a heads up, that will be in London. So yeah, that is that is a must win for her considering she just lost to Raquel Pennington. Oh, you're 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 exactly right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, as women's featherweight goes, well, I I, I wish Zan I had the um the song the taps with the trumpet because it looks like what have we have been expecting for is it is happening women's featherweight according to Dana White with Amanda Nunes Amanda Nunes's retirement is donezo that's very true and let's be honest Tom women's featherweight was built for Chris Cyborg when Chris Cyborg lost the division was basically a washout and Amanda Nunes was essentially keeping the belt as a placeholder and obviously we know what happened there so, yeah, I think it is the long overdue right time for the UFC to abolish the women's featherweight division and uh, and look at other options to try to build women's MMA in a different way. The only unfortunate thing, though, is that they'll have three divisions now instead of four divisions, uh, which we'll get into your little nugget that you um, that that you that you were going to mention in a second, which I actually think is 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 fascinating. But yeah, I think this is the right decision from the UFC brass, and I really think there's nothing that they can do about women's featherweight other than abolish it or hope that there's a diamond in the rough somewhere, which I highly doubt. So yeah, I think they're I think they're making the right decision in that regard. I mean, on one hand, it kind of stinks when that number one we're losing a division for the UFC. Number two, you have women's featherweight popping up in Bellator in. Uh, one championship. And Zan, the PFL's women's division is not women's lightweight this year. It's women's featherweight, which means, you know, that, you know, got all these bigger promotions that are doing women's featherweight and the UFC isn't, but there is another strategy. There could be another strategy to get another uh, women's weight class and build women's MMA in a different way. Now, Zan, I will say as much as we talk about, oh, it was built for somebody like Chris Cyborg, or it allowed Amanda Nunes to have this champ champ status and have, you know, add to her legacy. Part of this is not Cyborg and Nunes's fault. The UFC basically wasted opportunities it could have had in building women's featherweight. Zan, it dedicated part of a tough season to women's featherweight. And all they did was pick a whole bunch of women's bantamweights and say, okay, you're moving up for this season, you're moving up for this season. And then, yeah, after this tough season, you can all go back down to women's fan away and come to the UFC. Yeah, so I guess that leads me to my next question. If um, Let's take the other side and say that women's featherweight is not dead. Do you try to make a push for Kayla Harrison, or do you think it's too late? I think it's way, way too late. And I think, Sam, as I kind of alluded to weeks ago, I think – with the whole negotiations, you know, how Kayla Harrison resigned, PFL not doing a pay-per-view this year. I think that there's a better chance than by the end of 2023 that Kayla Harrison 
might be going over to Bellator to try and get that Cyborg Harrison fight. Now, it will be interesting, Zan, on that note to see if those rumors about a PFL Bellator merger do happen. And that, you know, and then we could see some, you still see some sort of Cyborg uh, Harrison fight. And considering that both Bellator and the PFL have women's featherweight this year, that, you know, we could see a pretty expansive, more expansive women's featherweight division, more opportunity for 145 pounders in this sport. But then the other the other straw to that, Zan, is Kayla Harrison is not in this women's featherweight season. And Zan, Kayla Harrison has competed at women's lightweight. Oh, She's I know. Fifty-five pounds. So, you know, regardless of what happens to Kayla Harrison, that's going to be the other caveat to all this is, is she going to be willing to make the cut to 145? Very well said. And on a side note, if Cyborg versus Kayla Harrison happens in Bellator, you better believe I'm doing everything I can to make that trip out because that that's a super fight that is just can't miss. If you if you, if people can physically do everything they can to be there for that potential super fight, I would highly highly recommend it because it's the highest level of women's MMA that you are going to see outside of the UFC bar none. So if that if that fight happens, you better believe I'm making every effort in my power to make sure that I am there the night of that fight. And it better and it better be if I know Bellator's a Friday promotion, but if they want to bring back a Saturday card just for that one fight, I'm all in. I'm all in for that. No doubt about it. I I, I don't blame you for those kind of feelings. So Zan, let's do a little bit of a flip. All right. So. Women's featherweight is likely done, but there has sparked a little rumor online that about, you know, basically replacing the division of sorts and what else the USC can do for women's MMA in its in its promotion. And I think I might have the answer. I hinted okay. at it a few weeks ago. I, I hinted at it a few weeks ago. The online, you know, the MMA Twitter sphere is all chirping it up about it. And then... A few years ago, during pandemic time, Dana White was asked about it and said, we're looking into it, but not yet. Well, with women's featherweight done, there's an even more in-depth and arguably important kind of weight class. And that, Zan, is atom weight, 105 pounds. What are the chances, Zan, you think that Sooner than later, maybe within the next year, maybe two, we get a UFC atom weight division. Uh, 60-40. I think it's all going to depend on, um, you know, can Invicta put on a huge fight pass event that showcases the best atom weights in the world to find out who can be signed to the UFC in almost a mini Dana White contender series of sorts. And I think that will determine your answer. What do you What do you think? I could very well see that. I could very well see Zan them doing what they did with women's flyweight and what they did with women's strawweight and essentially maybe do a whole tough season to in uh in the looks of determining the inaugural Adam Wade champion. And make it a uh, and make it a March I, Madness style bracket, one versus sixteen, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Yep, absolutely. I mean, Zen, you can look at Invicta, you can look at 
uh, one championship Ryzen. There are there are atom weights out there. It's just a matter of like you said, Zan, can the UFC go looking for these go looking for these ladies, sign these ladies, and in the case of a promotion like Invicta, which the UFC has a partnership with and broadcasts on UFC Fight Pass, can they, as you said, put on, you know, enough of a display where people will have an interest in this kind of division? I'm I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that maybe we can get this division into the UFC. I'm hopeful too, and I think it will open a door of women's MMA that may have not been possible five or six years ago. Without a doubt. No doubt about it. Cool. All right. Let's get off of all the Amanda Nunes and what's next talk and focus on the co-main event of the evening. Zan, what did we say? We said for Charles Oliveira, like he needed a big kind of performance if it meant, you know, a potential title rematch with Islam Nikashev. And well, he delivered. Charlie Olives was back, back in a big way, needing about three or four minutes to just quickly finish Benil Dariush. And Zan, I mean, it wasn't even close. I thought this was going to be a fight where, you know, the first takedown kind of won the fight. I thought maybe it would be a whole grappling display. No, Charles Oliveira just kind of, kind of ran through. He, he came out to fight. He came yeah. out with a fire under him. Yeah, he came out to fight. He came out like he was a man possessed, and he just absolutely destroyed Benil Darius in every facet. You want to talk about a dominant, dominant bounce back win after losing your title in your previous fight? Look no further than his performance because Oliveira just proved that he is still one of the baddest dudes, not just in MMA, but in combat sports, period. And oh my goodness, Tom a potential rematch against Islam Makachev only gives me goosebumps and will definitely be, if it happens in October, which which we hope it will, and that's what Dana would like to see next, even into that at the post by press conference, that if, if this fight happens, not only does it have a chance to blow up the doors of Eddie Hand Arena, it has a chance to be, in my opinion, the biggest lightweight title fight in almost five years. And I also think... Oliveira truly, I think, just goes to show that Brazilian MMA is still alive and well. He's still proving that Brazilians can compete at the highest level. And the last five, six years of his career have just been nothing short of amazing. And you thought that Oliveira might have been done after the Makachev fight? He proved all the doubters wrong in this very huge performance. And uh, let me tell you what, if this rematch happens, there's no way in the world after that Darius performance that this rematch will be exactly the same because Oliveira will look to go in there and try to hurt Makachev. And in my opinion, it has to be, it has a chance to be one of the biggest rematches in recent UFC history, if not of all time, without, without a shadow of a doubt. That is quite the take. That is quite the bold statement to make about, about uh, the kind of rematch. I mean, Islam Makachev is still a killer. I know there are maybe some questions about Islam Akashev after his performance against uh, Alexander Volkanovsky in February, but absolutely Charles Oliveira deserves this rematch. I know there's all the talk about, you know, I mean, we got Justin Gaethje and Dustin Poirier having their BMF title fight in in late July. I think, Sam, that's just going to be the kind of firefight that you expect with uh, Charles Oliveira and Islam Akashev in a potential rematch in October. I think Poirier and Gaethje in their rematch in um, 
in late July, July 29th. They're going to put on such a display and injure one another, Zan, that I think two months is going to be too quick of a turnaround. Connor and Chandler, obviously, you've got, you know, tough going on, and we don't know if that fight is even going to happen at this rate. So hey, I hey, think hey, it hey. makes the most. Hey, I think, hey, don't worry. Don't worry. The fight's going to happen. It just hasn't been announced yet. Hold your horses. We're all waiting for it. In my opinion, there's no way you build a tough season around Conor McGregor and the and as in fight. So I am hopeful until in, in, until it is officially announced. I am still going to believe that with the Ultimate Fighter season, that McGregor versus Chandler is going to happen. And also, Tom, you're kind of, you're kind of being a downer. This is one of the best stretches in UFC lightweight division history. So we better hope that all of these fights happen because they have to. I know, I know. My point, Sand. Well, first of all, I, I have some breaking news. Michael Chandler is out, and he's going to be replaced by the Miami Heat mascot. Uh, <laughs> and second of all, first reported Bernie. by Ben. The, first reported by Ben the Bean Davis. <laughs> 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 and, and second of all, Zan, my point was it just makes, with all the timing and everything and this kind of performance that he has, it just makes the most logical sense that you have to do the rematch next. Besides, technically, Zan, Oliveira never lost his title in the cage. He lost it on the scales against Gaethje. In his last two fights, he has proven he can make the 155-pound weight limit again. So I think you get you got to give him the rematch, especially with the way he ran through Darius. Absolutely. And just as a reminder, the uncrowned champ has a name and his name is Charles Oliveira. <laughs> I mean, that post-fight promo was just absolutely unbelievable. That he had wild. a good one. And it, that was, it was off the chart. <laughs> I, I I love to. Uh, I didn't know Charles Oliveira spoke English. Now, no, I didn't. I didn't no, I didn't either. <laughs> I don't think anybody did. He didn't need the translator for that interview. Uh, but man, I mean, the, also the crowd reception. Zan, you would think that maybe uh, Canada would be a second home for Charles Oliveira because I think Zan he got just as warm of a reception as the kind of reception Amanda Nunes got in her retirement. They were loud in Canada. They were loud in Vancouver. Uh, they were. They were for sure. And I think it just goes to show that Oliveira has fans everywhere, no matter where you put him. And I just really think he's a must-see TV. And honestly, I hope he mm-hmm. fights. In, I hope he fights in America more often because, as you know, I've been more than – grateful and lucky enough to see some very famous fighters in person. He's another one that I would be more than happy to chuck off the list. That was an absolutely amazing performance on Saturday, without a doubt. And you want to talk about Abu Dhabi being a destination for fights in October. That's as big of a possible main event as you can get. And you better believe that UFC 295 is going to be massive if that fight actually takes place as the main event. Absolutely. All right, let's run through quickly the rest of the main card. Zen, Mike Malott putting on, you know, the clean sweep, 5-0 and for Canadian fighters on this uh, UFC 289 card, <laughs> submitting out on target. And Zen, Mike Malott also post-fight promo, you know, just chef's kiss. Absolutely fantastic. 
I think Mike Millot is, I, I think he is now the Canadian prospect to watch at this rate. Oh, I think so too. And that leads me to a question that I've been wanting to ask you is Mike Millot headlining a UFC fight night um, in the, in the realm of possibility, because I would say yes. I could see it. I don't know about immediate. I think if something a little more immediate would be more of a co-main event slot. But, okay. you know, if Michael, if Michael Lott continues on the way he's been on the run he's been going, I could definitely see a Canada fight night card with him as a uh, as a headliner if he can continue to go on the momentum that he's going on. Yeah, very impressive win. And uh, shout out to him in full Sunday, the big weekend of business and he was definitely a part of it. It's cool to see the Canadian fans get behind one of their own again after having a dry spell uh, post-George St. Pierre. So it's great to see that somebody else has picked up the slack. And he made Adam uh, Fuggett look like he was a uh, look like he was uh, he was not he was not an amateur, but but he definitely made, he didn't look like he was very green in his career. That's a little bit of a concern considering that, you know, he was he was fighting on a pay-per-view and he did not show up to par. So it'll be interesting to see where Adam goes from here. Definitely a devastating loss on his end, though, without a doubt. Well, let's talk about that, Sam, because, yes, you had – I get what the USC was trying to do, get as much Canadian talent on this card as possible, have them do, you know, the 5-0 run and such. But, I mean, why is that – no disrespect to these two – why is Mike Mallet versus Adam Fogut the featured bout prior to the co-main and main event on a pay-per-view card? Yeah, to me, that should have been the main event of the prelims, and Curtis um, Imamov should have opened the main card. That's what that's 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 what I think. Yeah, and again, I the, the and again, you know, coming out of a card, Sam, the one of the fighters I I feel the most bad for is Chris Curtis. I mean. He gets gypped off of a off of a pay per view uh, main card again after what happened the first time with him and uh, Rollo Rosas Jr. And then his fight with uh, Nasardine goes to the no contest, and he's left with an abrasion around his eye, ten stitches, potential surgery that could put him out for the rest of the year. Uh, I, Chris Curtis is, you know, the guy I feel the most bad for. Probably one of the bigger losers, not lost in the record books, but losers. In that, you know, just a really disappointing weekend for him. Yeah, and also, um, you forgot to mention, and also a fight that was arguably pretty close up until that happened. Yeah. Uh, you know who I am happy for, though, Zan? I am happy for the Hawaiian Dan Ige getting the decision win over Nate Lander. You know, he, that was a win that Dan Ige needed. Dan Ige is a hell of a talent at featherweight and he if there is a win that he needed you know a pretty significant one-sided kind of display that he needed it it was this one oh for sure and oh, for you sure. know i think it was yeah. a good warning as for renate landward he's always an exciting fighter he'll be back but dan ega's experience definitely played a factor in this one and he fought extremely well from the second the fight started until it was over he used his wrestling well and looked Looked like the Danny Gable. He, he, he should be very proud. And then the main card did open, San, with uh, Mark Andre Barrio, the former TKO champion, getting a win in his home country to kick things off on the main card. 30 to 27 sweep of the scorecards against 
Eric, ya boy, Anders. Yeah, and this was a fight where it looked like it could have been finished at any point, and Andre Berrio just looked looked awesome. Um, and Eric Anders is a tough guy too, but there was something about the Canadian flavor in the air that night that made it seem like there was no way any of the fighters from Canada could lose, and he, he definitely showed that, without a doubt. Yeah, for sure. Uh, notable prelim performances, as I mentioned, San, the one I felt the most bad for, Chris Curtis. However, San, I can't take away from some of the other performances we had on this card when it came to uh, the Canadian crowds. I mean, I think, San, uh, I think the first of all, I got to mention Stephen Ursag, who gets a performance of the night bonus, even though he didn't even get a finish. That's rare to see from Dana White. Very, very but, rare. But, but, but the fact that he beat David DeVore, that, that was an upset. That was a big upset. Oh, for sure. And anyone who didn't know who Ursic was before Saturday, they definitely know who he is now. That guy has a chance to be a massive talent in the future if he stays on the run that he's on. He looked tremendous on Saturday. I was very impressed. I had only ever seen him fight once before that, back on the regional scene um, a, a couple of months ago. So I was curious to see how he would do, especially taking the fight on short notice. He was outstanding. And then, I mean, Sandy, other big names to talk about, really. Amon Zahabi, a.k.a. Ariel Hawani, putting on an incredible 64-second knockout in his prelim fight. Uh, as you said, Sandy, I feel bad for, you know, for the UFC intern every time that he fights. Because there oh, go oh. the Ariel Hawani tags, which I'm sure makes Dana happy. Oh, yeah, I'm just glad that I was not on the other side of the keyboard because if I was the UFC intern, I would have been fr- frantically texting you, asking what to do as my mentions are just bombarded with people saying, wasn't he banned a long time ago? Why is he fighting? I've never seen him fight before, et cetera, et cetera. And it would have just been so confusing. <laughs> it would have been so confusing but so funny at the same time. So anyway, I just wanted to give... My, my my thoughts and, and potential prayers out to whoever is to whoever was spreading the UFC social media at after seven p.m. Central because I truly felt bad for them as he uh, as he was pulled off by the referee. I'm like this is I'm like this is going to be an absolute field day from from the MMA Twitterverse and. Sh- or sure enough, it was some of the gifts were actually pretty funny. So I, I, I just did to mention that too. I mean, San, remember that Helwani boxing from a few years ago, pandemic time? It's really paying off now. It sure is. <laughs> Long live Helwani boxing forever. <laughs> uh, other name, I guess, San. The only other name I could really think of with a big performance was Jasmine. Just the vicious with her decision win over a talent like Miranda Maverick. Overall, I mean, San, like I said, we'll remember this card because Amanda Nunes retired, uh, but her fight with Irene Aldana was trash. Charles Oliveira, big performance. Uh, Canadian, you know, good feels for Canadians, but I don't know, San. I, I still feel somewhat, I feel a little bit more towards the up, but I'm still kind of like, you know, compared to it, it goes back to what I said, Zan. After the legendary run of events we had January through April, 
we were going to get a couple of downers, like May and June were. Yeah, I'm going to be generous and give this card a B minus based on the sole fact that Amanda Nunes did retire and it was a feel good moment. I, I, you know what? You and I are on the same page. I'm going to agree. Be honest. I, okay. I don't think it was. T- I still learns a passing grade. You know, it's definitely better than some of the fight nights we've seen. But uh, I, I would still, you know, uh, out of all the UFC pay-per-views we've had this year, I would still place this uh, number. Uh, actually, no, this is pay-per-view number seven of the year. So number seven out of seven. Yeah, that yeah, I, I wouldn't. It's hard to disagree with that. It would have been in the CC minus range for me had the co-main event not been good. Yeah, absolutely, Charles um, Amanda Nunes and Charles Oliveira, Dan, as we kind of figured, as we said going into this event, pretty much carried this pay per view. One thousand percent, you were you were exactly right. All right. Let's talk about Zan My Realm for a little bit. Let's talk about the Professional Fighters League, who had kicked off the second half of their season this past Thursday. Zan, in my opinion, perhaps right now the biggest upset in the year of 2023 in mixed martial arts. Jesus Pinedo, he needed a first-round finish, basically, to, you know, get into the postseason. And what does he do? He gets a first-round knockout, knocks out, the PFL's star at uh, at Featherweight knocks out Brendan Lognane, sending him out of the playoffs and Chris Wade out of the playoffs. Then just that that was my mind. I jumped out of my chair as I saw him, as I saw him land the right that dropped Lognane. Well, we've been very critical of the PFL so far this season. So to see them come back with a shocking main event result like that is definitely the boost that the PFL needed for the remainder of the season. And I instantly thought of you as you were blowing me up, uh, telling me about, about this knockout, because I had just seen it as your messages were going through. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is absolutely absurd. And I was I was checking out the card like every so often just to see like how the fights were on my feet. I'm like, I'm like, this card is fun. This is a, this is a good card. So of course I this, tuned in. Uh, of course I tuned in for the main event, not expecting much, and I see one name get knocked out. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me, <laughs> Zan. This PFL four was an absolutely fun card, and I mean, Zan, you had plenty of finishes at the PFL's uh, third card back in April, in the middle of April, and that combined with Zan, just the overall card of what PFL four was, I think. PFL is showing that the first two, you know, say what you will about the first two PFL cards of the season. They've kind of bounced back quite a bit. And now we're, you know, we're in the, we're in the fun of it again. And Jesus Pinedo really, I mean, Zan, it's the incredible moments like that. It's, it's the incredible moments that the PFL is able to create. Zan, we've talked about how the PFL is big with upsets. We've talked about how the PFL is big with the mind blowing moments. And this is just another one that Jesus Pinedo his next fight is going to be in August in the semifinals in San Antonio against Bubba Jenkins, the top-ranked uh, top ranked fighter at featherweight. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a phenomenal next PFL card. And anytime Bubba Jenkins fights, you just know it's going to be always action. So that should be that should be very funny. I, Zan, I can't wait that the possibility that we could have in the PFL featherweight championship this year, Bubba Jenkins against, uh, against Movlin. No doubt. And 
That's a fight that I wouldn't underestimate. Mobe's chances. I, I I think if Jenkins isn't careful, he might he might lose that fight for sure. I, I mean he's he's the twenty Mobley was the twenty twenty one champion, I believe, for a reason. Yep, exactly. All right. Uh, all right. The other thing that a couple other headlines is coming out of the PFL card, San Marlon Marias retiring for good. Caught Gabriel Braga late, but Gabriel Braga managed to land a counter shot that dropped Marias out cold. Seven straight knockout loss. Marlon Marias retired. He had left his gloves in the cage immediately. Following the uh, card, Marlon Marias versus Braga was the uh, headliner to the opening ESPN Plus card. And Zan, I know if you want it before anybody out there says, you know, oh, well, it's for now because he did this with the UFC as well. The Nevada State Athletic Commission, Zan, has earlier yesterday stepped in and basically suspended Marias indefinitely. And as, I mean, after seven, as, knocked as they should, you have to. as they should, you have to. Oh, yeah. no doubt. Um, I, I mean, you know, a big ups to Marlon Marais on an incredible career, starting Zan with the PFL's predecessor of the World Series of Fighting, becoming their bandweight champion, having an incredible run there, coming Zan oh so close to winning the UFC bantamweight championship, but after that loss to Cejudo, things just were not the same. No, no, and and as you know, I was at that Cejudo fight, and it very much looked like Marais was on his way to winning the title. He obviously didn't. He just does not look the same since. I don't know if it's a confidence issue or what it is, but I, I just think, um, you know, I think his years got the best of him, and obviously his chin isn't holding up the way it used to be. And Brog is a tough guy. He's he's a guy to definitely keep an eye on, and that's without a doubt um, his biggest win in terms of name value of his career. But from a Marias uh, standpoint, it's one of the biggest balls off a cliff in MMA that I can remember in a very, very, very long time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we'll always have the memories. We'll always have the memories of Marlon Marais' run at the top. Uh, as one of the best bantamweights in the world, but I mean, his retirement is kind of, kind of long overdue. And I'm thankful that he gets out now without any more damage. And the Nevada State Athletic Commission is putting a stop to it for good. As they should. Uh, the other thing, Zan. We had a guest interview at the PFL card. One former WBC uh, heavyweight champion, Deontay Wilder, LeBron's bomber himself. Now, Zan, Deontay Wilder has been one of the names that's been floating around ever since we heard these first desires of Francis Ngannou to go into boxing. And as part of his interview, he kind of teased the idea, Zan. He said, you don't really see boxers enter the MMA cage. Now, granted, we, Zan, talked about the potential. Last week, we talked about with the whole Fury, uh, John Jones thing about, you know, it would look like the next Randy Couture versus James Tony. We have seen, Zan, some uh, boxers try their hands at professional mixed martial arts. Obviously, you had Clay Collard doing a run between both the PFL and top rank not too long ago. Uh, Biagio Ali, Ali Walsh is right now uh, doing some fights with the Professional Fighters League. 
But what do you make of Wilder's offer out here? One box, a two-part series, a boxing match, uh, maybe the, late this year, early next year, and then a fight in the PFL. Yeah, I mean, I think this is way different than a Jones Fury possibility because Deontay Wilder, compared to Tyson Fury, is actually willing to try his hand at MMA, which is something that apparently seems like Fury is not willing to do. So I think Wilder just throwing it out there that he would be interested in competing against Ngannou when both of them have similar styles, if you will, when they both remain on the feet. I think it's a very fascinating idea. And I think it's something that I would totally be down for if it happens. And I also think that both fights, if Wilder can get a little bit of MMA training in, same with Nagano on the boxing side, I think it could be a very entertaining spectacle. And I think it could definitely be something that could help grow not just the, the PFL, but MMA, but MMA and boxing is two collective sports. And truly, I think Wilder is, is thinking strategically. And I think he knows that the PFL... Um, is is interested in these kinds of fights. And Wilder's not just saying, oh, come to my world, or Francis is not just saying, come to his. He actually wants to do it the right way and try his hand at both. And you have to just give him respect for that because he's one of the hardest punchers in the heavyweight division on the boxing side. And he would definitely give Francis some problems in that department. The question would be, would he have time in six to 12 months to adequately learn MMA in order to make that fight somewhat competitive? I don't know about that. I mean, I could see Wilder just going in there with with his striking. I mean, Zan, there's a chance that, you know, Francis Ngannou would just try and strike as well. Maybe that brings about some fears and that one, one, if not both of their fights could look like Francis Ngannou's fight with Derek Lewis. Uh, But no, Zan, seriously, I mean, to be very serious, we talked about, oh, the PFL is taking a risk. Francis Ngannou is taking a risk. He should have gone back to UFC, yada, yada. This then, the fact that Deontay Wilder is now putting it out there to the public on a professional fighters league broadcast, it, it gives the interest out there, Zan. And it, it now it's sparking the idea that perhaps, Zan, Deontay Wilder has been the answer all along. The fact that he is willing not just to take on Francis Ngannou in boxing, but to go into the territory that Francis Ngannou is in, this case now the PFL. The fact that Wilder's willing to do this, and if the PFL can get the money right, and Zen, based on the signings that they've made since 2019, and the fact that they got Francis Ngannou the dream kind of deal, the bag that he wanted, I'm confident that the PFL can do this. That, you know, if they can get the money right, if Wilder and Ghana can sit and agree on those terms, this is a possibility. I, I know maybe I'm being a little too optimistic because not not really necessarily for PFL, but, Zan, you know what we always say about boxing. It gets in its own way, and it does almost all the time. Almost every single week we do this show, something bad happens in the boxing realm, and we'll get to... The bad news of this week, because there's always bad news, but you were 100% right. But this to me, Zan, like you said, like I said, the answer all along could have been Deontay Wilder. And this is, I mean, the opportunity's there. It's been thrown out there. Now we got to wait and see if this is just a little tease, you know, that's just going to leave us groaning again, or if there is interest. Because, Zan, 
if Wilder and if Wilder and Ganu can get this done, sign me up. I'm watching both fights. I'm paying for both fights. Oh, one hundred percent. And if I could even do my very best at going to one, I would be be more than happy to go to one and spend the money for the other one for sure. I think it would be a very entertaining uh, two-part series, and I think a lot of people would be interested in seeing how both men do because I think it is a chance to do some massive business if promoted the right way. And also, to be quite frank, amazing business for ESPN. You'd have a chance to make a fight in the Mm -hmm. top rank realm, and you would also have a chance to make a fight under the PFL banner. Both, of course, are on ESPN, so it's good for everybody involved. Absolutely. That's the other thing. Big opportunity here for ESPN as well. All right. Let's get into the bad of boxing, as you kind of alluded to. So, Zan, I completely did not realize once again until Sunday, the day that it happened, that Floyd Mayweather was fighting an exhibition. And he took on Zan, John Gotti III. Yes, the grandson of the notorious uh, criminal, part of the Gotti uh, my family. And Zan, John Gotti the third, well, has recently been an MMA prospect, one to watch out for. But I mean, after the kind of after the kind of crap that you saw in the exhibition, no, this was horrible. Yeah, this just wasn't it, and uh, it's one of those fights that, or one of those clips rather that you could just watch on social media really quick and scroll past it because that's just the bad side of boxing where you get these freak show kind of fights that don't really make sense and just have eyeballs on them. This was one of them, and it definitely didn't make either guy look good. Certainly for Floyd Mayweather, obviously his legacy is set in stone when it comes to legitimate boxing matches, this not being one of them, this being an exhibition, but still it goes to show that Mayweather is just doing this sort of as a joke now, and this was another example of that. Yeah, I mean, he's doing it for the money. He's doing it just to keep his name out there. But, Zan, I mean, if he's ever trying to recreate the success of the kind of uh, freak show fight he had, the crossover with Conor McGregor, I mean, Zan, you could even get, and he did get, a Paul brother in there. It just will not do. I I don't know why Floyd is doing this. It it feels like shits and giggles. Oh, without, without a doubt. Uh... Zan, actually, a couple other news stories that we do have to get to because on the day that we are recording this news, this couple of news items are breaking left and right. W.O. Junior Welterweight Championship win at just 25 years old. T.O. Fimo Lopez has announced his retirement. Oh, wow. Well, um, after watching his last fight, uh, th- that would have not been th- that would have not been what I would have expected uh, right away. One of the most entertaining fighters of the last several years, and I truly wish him the, the best in whatever he decides to do in the future. Although I do think, given his age, I think we could see him back in the future. I think, as much as it says it's a retirement, I think it's more so to me. And I could be jumping the gun, but to me, this feels like a break to figure out what he wants to do next. I don't. I don't know if you feel similarly, but I still think he still has so much potential. So it's unfortunate to see to see him retire so young, in my opinion. Uh yeah, I I pretty much don't buy it. I mean, Sam, just a few years ago, this guy beat Vasily Lomachenko 
to be the face of the lightweight division, now claiming the junior welterweight championship. Uh, Lopez tells ESPN on Monday, quote, I'm going to be announcing my retirement to the sport of boxing. Blood, sweat, and tears I've done for the sport at a young age, 25 years young. I have a lot of ideas. I have a lot of things in mind for the sport of boxing. I really can't do that if I'm always in the gym training and preparing for another upcoming fight or bout. So I'm really just focusing right now on that task. He is pretty much brushing off Zan the possibility of a bout with Devin Haney or a rematch with George Cambosos Jr. Again, I agree with you. I don't know, Zan, if I necessarily agree with him retiring at 25 years old. I don't know if I agree that it's going to be a permanent retirement. I could see him coming back for one of those two kind of fights, if not both of those fights. I mean, congratulations to him for all the success. You know, if this really is the if this really is the end, I wish him well and congrats to him on all that he's accomplished in the sport. I just don't know if this is going to stay. You know what we talk about with retirement and combat sports, especially with a young age like this. One thousand percent. And another uh, headline, Sand, that's actually a little more recent from the time we're recording this. Um, Canelo Alvarez is starting to look at potential opponents for Mexican Independence Day weekend. And he is eyeing potential bouts with Jamal Charlo and Badu Jack. Uh, yeah, I'm down for either either of those two fights. Um, I'm just curious to see which one it's going to be, if it's either of those two guys or another opponent. Regardless, whenever Canelo fights, I'm always tuning in. So happy for him, and I hope that either of those fights can get done for sure. All right, that's just to get some boxing headlines that are a little more breaking from the time we're recording out of the way. Zan, one other thing before we get into the previews. Kind of alluded to it before. Conor McGregor in the headlines again. Not just for, not for something tough, but for, I don't know, just another face palm kind of moment. So Conor McGregor making an appearance in Miami during Game 4 of the NBA Finals. He participated in a halftime skit with Bernie the Miami Heat mascot, a skit in which Conor McGregor would basically punch Bernie's lights out and then would use, I don't know, Xander, it's some spray that he he's basically, you know, a spokesperson and uh, developer for. And, he, you know, the spray would, it's kind of a pain relief kind of spray that he would put it on the jaw to get Bernie feeling better. Unfortunately, Xander, the skit went wrong in which he apparently punched Bernie too hard and then Zan, after he did the one, you know, boom, uh, shot to the jaw, which sent Bernie to the uh, to the floor, he followed it up with the MMA classic, the hammer fist to the face right afterwards. And apparently the individual in the Bernie mask, uh, mascot costume was in so much pain that he needed to be transported to a medical facility. Yeah, all I have to say about this is uh, who cares? Um, it's just a, it was just a clip to get clicks for every single site that wrote about it. And I hope the heat mascot is okay. And we can let bygones be got, be bygones. So I will say, even though this is a headline on our show based on the tendons of journalism, I do not consider this a news story. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, I think it's a story just for the fact that it's Connor again, something has gone wrong and it involves him. It's just like, same as it ever was. 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 No doubt. Do about I need it. to play the full song? No, because it gets more and more annoying with every lyric. 
<laughs> and you'll find yourself saying, this is not my beautiful octagon. <laughs> when are we? Alright. Let's get into let's get into the reason why I know you're here, Sam. Let's preview this Bellator card this weekend. Should be absolutely fun. Headlined. The Dean Nemkov Yo Romero. This fight was previously booked, canceled because of injury. We're finally gonna get it. The Dean Nemkov is going to test himself against the power of Yoel Romero. Um, yeah, I'm just gonna say this. This fight's gonna be action-packed fireworks. You got I've never seen either of these two fight before. They are never in a boring fight. I think Nemkov's wrestling overpowers Romero. I think Nemkov wins a decision. I think Romero probably protests something that happens mid-fight, either a low blow or something like that, and it winds up being a loss. I think Nemkov defends the light heavyweight championship, and I think goes to show that he is one of Bellator's best fighters in the world. If I, if not without a doubt, one of the best MMA fighters in the world in any promotion. And yes, I do think you could very well see Romero think about hanging up the gloves, just considering how long he's been in MMA and how, how many chances he's had to win a world title. And this is very cool for me personally, because I was at Whitaker Romero 2 at UFC 225. So I am very lucky to see Romero again in person for the second time in what could very well be his last fight or one of his last fights uh, of his career. One of one of the best fights of 2018. That was incredible. And Zan, that could have been for middleweight championship, but of course he ends up missing weight for that fight. Uh, actually, Zan, hang on one second here. I have a message. Yo Romero wants me to send you a message, Zan. He, he has heard your comments and he has something he'd like to say. Yeah, well, I will. Well, 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 I will see him soon, as early as this afternoon at the first um, pre-fight media availability, which I am very much looking forward to. I can't, I can't wait. It's going to be a very entertaining week with the Soldier of God on the mic. It's gonna be, it's gonna be awesome. And the MMA Outsiders is going to be with you live. We're gonna give you as much coverage as possible for Bellator 297. So make sure to check us out across social media at MMA Outsiders ETB. We'll get as much as we can up to this YouTube channel to give you all the latest, you know, interviews, press conferences, and so much more. Uh, but yeah, Zan, I completely 100% agree with you. I think the Dim Denkov, you know, the fact that he was able to get past Ryan Bader, I think he can get best uh, Yoel Romero. I think as much as Yoel Romero has power, I think the Dim Denkov, you nailed it on the head. I think his wrestling and grappling is just going to be way too much. And if he ever gets to control Zam, Nemkov has good power as well. So I'm going to say Vadim Nemkov as well retains the light heavyweight championship. Should be a yep. good one. Co-main event. This one, Zan, has even more stakes to it. Sergio Pettis is back. And, and he is going to be defending the featherweight, uh, the bantamweight championship against the featherweight champion, Patricio Pitbull. If Patricio Pitbull wins this fight, not only is he the first individual Zan in Bellator history to be a double champ twice, he is going to be the first ever individual to win three division championships in Bellator. And, and it's Patricio Pitbull, perhaps the longtime face of, I mean, not perhaps, he is the longtime face of Bellator MMA. Plus, 
you got the winner of this fight, Zan, who is going to be have to defend against the uh, winner of the Bellator Bantamweight Grand Prix in uh, Apache. Yeah, I mean, this is a high-stakes fight. Uh, Apache mix, I would assume, is going to be there. I have not been told either such way. If he is there, we will get all the coverage on mix that we possibly can. But this is a high-stakes fight, one of the biggest fights in Bellator history. Um, I mean, it's hard to pick a winner in this one. I just think Pitbull is slightly better than Pettis. I think it will be a very high-level, action-packed fight. I think Pitbull finishes him late, either third or fourth round. But Sergio Pettis' is speed and his striking, man, I just don't see how this fight goes the distance. Truly, I think it will be one of those fights where the entire Wintrust Arena crowd is going to be on their feet because I think this is a chance to be not only a fight of the night contender, but a Bellator fight of the year contender without question. Hot takes in. I'd say this might be a bit of a hot take. I think considering the fact that it's champ versus champ, it's Patricio Pitbull, the history and Sergio Pettis' return and the potential of a fight of the night like you're talking about with all the stakes and how good this fight could be. I think this is one of those times, Dan, where a mixed martial arts the fact that like the heavier weight is the main event, I think this is one that Bellator got wrong. I think Pettis versus Pitbull should have been the main event of this card just because of the high intensity and high stakes of this. Because if they put on the kind of fight, Zan, that you are considering, you know, fight of the night, potential fight of the year, or Patricio Pitbull making that history, that's going to be very hard for, De- for, De- for Vadim Nemkov and Yoel Romero to follow. Agreed, and as a unbiased member of the media, as I like to think that I am, as well as a Bellator rankings panel, as I will say that I agree with you, and I think that these two matchups should have been flipped. I hope, uh, I, I hope this doesn't come across as a negative. It's more so just a suggestion than any than anything else. But we, but those were, but those were the cards that we were dealt. Although I do think when it's champ versus champ, that always has to be the main event in my opinion. Yeah, and granted, Zan, it's not maybe a Bellator thing because, like I said, it, that seems to be a commonality in mixed martial arts for the heavier weight class, you know, headlines. I think the only time we really don't see that, Zan, is Professional Fighters League where everything seems to have a mix. I know women's lightweights always headline the championship cards the last few years because that's been Kayla Harrison. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do this time around. But yeah, um, nevertheless, I agree with you. I think that. You said Pitbull gets a finish third, fourth round, right? Pitbull will get a finish, I think, about three and a half minutes into round three. And if, if need be, he'll probably finish it in the fourth. If it goes to a decision, I think Pettis wins, but I, I am taking Pitbull. All right. I'm going to agree with you. I think Pit, Patricio Pitbull is a little too much of a tough task for Pettis in his first fight back from major injury. And I think, Zan, this is just setting up for Patricio Pitbull to make Bellator history and, you know, further his legacy, Zan, as one of the best fighters to have never fought in the UFC. And no it question. will be really fun to see a Patricio, and it'll be really fun to see Patricio Pitbull take on Patchy Mix. Without a doubt. All right. The other two fights on the main card, Zan, we got Corey Anderson, Phil Davis, Battle of Light Heavyweights. Yeah, this one just screams wrestle, 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 and it's also screams decision. I like Phil Davis in this spot. I think he's just a little bit better than Corey Anderson. Don't know how Corey Anderson's gas tank is going to hold up. 
Nemkov really kind of did expose Anderson in his last fight. I think Phil Davis is just a little bit better, has the experience factor also. I think Davis wins a close decision, but definitely, definitely, if you're looking for a solid bet here, over two and a half rounds, Anderson versus Davis is my lock on this card. No question about it. Decision, decision, decision. Zan, uh, if I had the quicker ability to search, I would have searched for that uh, Khabib Connor clip where they go, let's wrestle, let's wrestle, let's wrestle. 100%. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think Phil Davis's experience is going to help him out here. Uh, I think it'll be a very close fight. I think it should be a close and competitive fight, but I'm going to lean towards Davis on this one. And then you have the opener. Zan, your boy. The Chicago native Daniel James comes home, takes on Gokam Sarakam. And Zan, this might be a little tougher of a touch for, uh, for DJ, but no, I'm, I'm going to say late first, early second, he gets this job done. You know how you know you, you, you know how I feel about this one. Par- partially, this <laughs> partially, this is the only reason why I'm in the building is to see Daniel James' second homecoming. I think I think this is going to be another coming out party for Daniel James. He's going to blow the roof off of Wintrust Arena, and I think he gets a nasty, nasty stoppage of Glockham. But I, I will say this: Glockham is a tough guy. If he can survive the first round, it'll get very, very interesting. But I would say Daniel James wins in the first round again, punches his ticket to a potential heavyweight title shot, and has another epic post-fight interview, and I cannot wait to see it. Moving on, Zan, a couple of fights to talk about with the PFL. Heavyweight main event, the heavyweights and women's featherweights this week. That's also going to be on Friday. So you'll be busy with Bellator. I'll be busy with the PFL. Main event, Ante D'Elia taking on Maurice Green. Zan. Despite what Ariel Helwani has previously said about Ante D'Elia, which you uh, echoed his words, you know, I am a little more familiar with Ante D'Elia's game. And, you know, I like Maurice Green, but I just question, you know, his technical skills and his gas tank. And I think D'Elia will be able to outlast. Yeah, I don't have a I don't have a pick for this fight. But I can say with confidence that this fight's not going the distance if either of these two are getting or getting finished. All right. Co-main event, women's featherweight headliner Zan. This is an interesting one. I kinda I kinda have a liking for. It's gonna be Larissa Pacheco taking on Amber LeBrock. And I think Zan, uh you know, I think Amber LeBrock is very talented. I think there is upset alert in this one, but you know, Larissa Pacheco, the only one that has not been stopped, the only one who has not, you know, that she has been unable to defeat. And she finally conquered her demons in November was Kayla Harrison. So I think, I think this is going to be good. I think this is going to be good for Larissa. Yeah, I think Pacheco gets the job done. I think she wins a decision. Lebrock is obviously very tough. Uh, she is a it still said herself, I think the only way she can win this fight is if she stops Pacheco on the feet. But I think Pacheco's wrestling is going to be a little bit too much for her. She could actually submit Amber LeBrock, but I don't think she will. So let's, let's go with the safe pick here and say that Pacheco wins a unanimous decision. I, I completely agree. You and I are on a good wavelength on that one. Last fight to preview Zan. UFC Vegas 75 on Saturday after all the Bellator and PFL Mandis on Friday. The main event, former middleweight title challengers, former 
Israel Adesanya foes, Marvin Vittori, Jared Cannonier in action. Yeah, back at the UFC Apex, of course. Let's go Apex. 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 Yeah, we're back at we're back at the UFC Apex, which probably means this one is another five round decision. And I actually think that Jerry Cannonier beats Marvin Vittori, a very very closely debated fight, forty eight forty seven on all three judges' scorecards could go could go either way. I just think Cannonier's gas tank is a little bit better. Vittori will probably try to clinch him against the cage, do do absolutely nothing on the offensive side, uh, leave himself open and lose a decision. Three rounds to two in a pretty clear decision for Cannoneer, in my in my opinion. I am going to counter. I think Vittori's probably going to do him a little more of a favor. And I'm going to flip. I'm going to go 48 to 47 for Vittori. Although I don't know if I could say unanimous. I think Zan, this one could end up being a split decision because, of course, it will be. Yeah, knowing UFC Apex decisions lately, I would not be surprised. So there you go. That's going to do it for this edition of the MMA Outsider. So make sure you hit that like button, subscribe, hit the notification bell so you get notified of every MMA Outsider's co- a piece of content, including anything that we're going to upload to this channel in case Zan gets any sort of footage he wants to upload for Bellator 297 covers this weekend. So make sure also you follow us across social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at MMA Outsiders ETB. Follow the network as well at ETB Network. That's Zan Bando, staff writer for BJPenn.com, Bellator Rankings Committee member. You can follow him. At Zambano99, I'm Tom Albano. You can find my work over at Fansided MMA, PFL uh, website contributor as well. Find me at Thomas J. Albano across social media. And, of course, hit that uh, notification bell so you get notified of everything that we do with Bellator 297, all our episodes. And for tonight, when we have our third episode of Tough Enough. Yeah, for sure. So be sure to tune into that as well if you want all of the Ultimate Fighter nuggets. But with that being said, um, I'm Zan. He's Tom. That's going to do it for episode 42. We thank you again for tuning in. A lot of action this weekend. Don't forget a heavy Friday of MMA. We have Bellator on one end of the spectrum, PFL on the other. I have Bellator, Thomas PFL, and then, of course, UFC on Saturday. So, again, thank you for tuning in. It'd be great. We appreciate it. And Keep it locked in for all of the Bellator 297 coverage coming up over the next few days as I have the controls over in Chicago for that. So stay tuned for everything. And again, thanks for tuning in. And of course, before we get out of here, we just wanted to leave you with one final message. Be Joe Piper. Be Joe Piper. Thanks again, everybody. We'll see you next week. We'll see you later tonight for tough. Uh, the next episode of Tough Enough. And keep it locked in here for the MMA Outsiders with all our Bellator 297 coverage. Take care, everyone. Take care.